Chapter Seventeen of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. A boy passing by saw what had happened and ran to the house, calling as he went to some workmen who hastened to the place where they heard the howling of the dogs. Ormond neither heard nor saw till Moriarty said he must be carried home and some one approaching to lift the body ormond started up pushed the man back without uttering a syllable made a sign to moriarty and between them they carried the body home sheila and the women came out to meet them wringing their hands and uttering loud lamentations ormond bearing his burden as if insensible of what he bore walked onward looking at no one answering none but forcing his way straight into the house and on till they came to O'Shane's bedchamber, which was upon the ground floor, there laid him on his bed. The women had followed, and all those who had gathered on the way rushed in to see and to bewail. Ormond looked up and saw the people about the bed, and made a sign to Moriarty to keep them away, which he did as well as he could. But they would not be kept back. Sheila especially pressed forward, crying loudly, till Moriarty, with whom she was struggling, pointed to Harry. Struck with his fixed look, she submitted at once. Best leave him, said she. She put everybody out of the room before her, and, turning to Ormond, said they would leave him a little space of time till the priest should come, who was at a clergy dinner, but was sent for. When Ormond was left alone, he locked the door, and, kneeling beside the dead, offered up prayers for the friend he had lost, and there remained some time in stillness and silence, till Sheila knocked at the door to let him know that the priest was come. Then, retiring, he went to the other end of the house to be out of the way. The room to which he went was that in which they had been reading the letters just before they went out that morning there was the pen which harry had taken from his hand and the answer just begun dear general i hope my young friend harry ormond that hand could write no more that warm heart was cold the certainty was so astonishing so stupefying that ormond having never yet shed a tear stood with his eyes fixed on the paper he knew not how long till he felt some one touch his hand it was the child little tommy of whom o'shane was so fond and who was so fond of him the child with his whistle in his hand stood looking up at harry without speaking ormond gazed on him for a few instants then snatched him in his arms and burst into an agony of tears sheila who had let the child in now came and carried him away god be thanked for them tears said she they will bring relief and so they did the necessity for manly exertion the sense of duty pressed upon ormond's recovered reason he began directly and wrote all the letters that were necessary to his guardian and to miss ophelia to communicate the dreadful intelligence to dora the letters were not finished till late in the evening sheila came for them and leaving the door and the outer door to the hall open as she came in 
ormond saw the candles lighted and smelt the smell of tobacco and whisky and heard the sound of many voices the wake dear which is beginnin said she hastening back to shut the doors as she saw him shudder bear with it master harry said she hard for you but bear with us dear tis the custom of the country and what else can we do but what the forefathers did how else for us to show respect only as it would be expected and has always been and great comfort to think we done our best for him that is gone and comfort to know his wake will be talked of long hereafter over the fires at night of all the people that is there without and that's all we have for it now so bear with it dear this night and for two succeeding nights the doors of corney castle remained open for all who chose to come crowds as many and more than the castle could hold flocked to king corney's wake for he was greatly beloved there was as sheila said plenty of cake and wine and tea and tobacco and snuff everything handsome as possible and honourable to the deceased who was always open-handed and open-hearted and with open house too his praises from time to time were heard and then the common business of the country was talked of and jesting and laughter went on and all night there were tea-drinkings for the women and punch for the men sheila who inwardly grieved most went about incessantly among the crowd serving all seeing that none especially them who came from a distance should be neglected and that none should have to complain afterwards or to say that anything at all was wanton or niggardly mrs betty sheila's daughter sat presiding at the tea-table giving the keys to her mother when wanted but never forgetting to ask for them again little tommy took his cake and hid himself under the table close by his mother mrs betty and could not be tempted out but by sheila whom he followed watching for her to go in to mr harry when the door opened he held by her gown and squeezed in under her arm and when she brought mr harry his meals she would set the child up at the table with him for company and to tempt him to take something ormond had once promised his deceased friend that if he was in the country when he died he would put him into his coffin he kept his promise the child hearing a noise and knowing that mr harry had gone into the room could not be kept out the crowd had left that room and the child looked at the bed with the curtains looped up with black and at the table at the foot of the bed with the white cloth spread over it and the seven candlesticks placed upon it but the coffin fixed his attention and he threw himself upon it clinging to it and crying bitterly upon king corney his dear king corney to come back to him it was all sheila could do to drag him away ormond who had always liked this boy felt now more fond of him than ever and resolved that he should never want a friend you are in the mind to attend the funeral sir i think you told me said sheila certainly replied ormond excuse me then said sheila if i mention for you can't know what to do without there will be high mass maybe you know in the chapel and as it's a great funeral thirteen priests will be there attendin 
and when the mass will be finished it will be expected of you as first of kin considered to walk up first with your offerin whatsoever you think fit for the priests and to lay it down on the altar and then each and all will follow layin down their offerings accordin as they can i hope i'm not too bold or troublesome sir ormond thanked her for her kindness and felt it was real kindness he consequently did all that was expected from him handsomely after the masses were over the priests who could not eat anything before they said mass had breakfast and dinner joined sheila took care the clergy was well served then the priests though it was not essential that all should go did all to sheila's satisfaction accompany the funeral the whole way three long miles to the burying-place of the O'Shanes, a remote old abbey ground marked only by some scattered trees and a few sloping gravestones king corney's funeral was followed by an immense concourse of people on horseback and on foot men women and children when they passed by the doors of cabins a set of the women raised the funeral cry not a savage howl as is the custom in some parts of ireland but chanting a melancholy kind of lament not without harmony simple and pathetic ormond was convinced that in spite of all the festivity at the wake which had so disgusted him the poor people mourned sincerely for the friend they had lost we forgot to mention that dr cambray went to the black islands the day after o'shane's death and did all he could to prevail upon ormond to go to his house while the wake was going on and till the funeral should be over but ormond thought it right to stay where he was as none of the family were there and there was no way in which he could so strongly mark as sheila said his respect for the dead now that it was all over he had at least the consolation of thinking that he had not shrunk from anything that was or that he conceived to be his duty dr cambray was pleased with his conduct and at every moment he could spare went to see him doing all he could to console him by strengthening in ormond's mind the feelings of religious submission to the will of heaven and of pious hope and confidence ormond had no time left him for the indulgence of sorrow business pressed upon him cornelius o'shane's will which sir ulic blamed harry for not mentioning in the first letter was found to be at his bankers in dublin all his property was left to his daughter except the farm which he had given to ormond this was specially accepted with legal care also a legacy of five hundred pounds was left to harry a trifling bequest to sir ulic being his cousin and legacies to servants miss ophely was appointed sole executrix this gave great umbrage to sir ulic o'shane and appeared extraordinary to many people but the will was in due form and nothing could be done against it however much might be said miss ophely without taking notice of anything ormond said of the money which had been lodged in the bank to pay for his commission 
wrote as executrix to beg of him to do various business for her all which he did and fresh letters came with new requests inventories to be taken things to be sent to dublin money to be received and paid stewards and agents accounts to be settled business of all kinds in short came pouring in upon him a young man unused to it and with a mind peculiarly averse from it at this moment but when he found that he could be of service to any one belonging to his benefactor he felt bound in gratitude to exert himself to the utmost these circumstances however disagreeable had an excellent effect upon his character giving him habits of business which were ever afterwards of use to him it was remarkable that the only point in his letters which had concerned his own affairs still continued unanswered another circumstance hurt his feelings instead of miss ophelia's writing to make her own requests mr connell was soon deputed by mademoiselle to write for her he spoke of the shock the ladies had felt and the distressing circumstances in which they were all in commonplace phrases which ormond despised and from which he could judge nothing of dora's real feelings the marriage must of course mr connell said be put off for some time and as it would be painful to the ladies to return to corney castle he had advised their staying in dublin and they and he feeling assured that from mr ormond's regard for the family they might take the liberty of troubling him they requested so-and-so and the executrix begged he would see this settled and that settled at last with gradually forgotten apologies falling very much into the style of a person writing to an humble friend or dependent bound to consider requests as commands our young hero's pride was piqued on the one side as much as his gratitude was alive on the other sir ulic o'shane wrote to harry that he was at this time peculiarly engaged with affairs of his own he said that as to the material point of the money lodged for the commission he would see the executrix and do what he could to have that settled but as to all lesser points sir ulic said he really had not leisure to answer letters at present he enclosed a note to dr cambray whom he recommended it to his ward to consult and whose advice and assistance he now requested for him in pressing terms in consequence of this direct application from the young gentleman's guardian dr cambray felt himself authorized and called upon to interfere where otherwise delicacy might have prevented him it was fortunate for ormond that he had dr cambray's counsel to guide him or else he would in the first moments of feeling have yielded too much to the suggestions of both gratitude and pride in the first impulse of generous pride ormond wanted to give up the farm which his benefactor had left him because he wished that no possible suspicion of interested motives having influenced his attachment to cornelius o'shane should exist especially with mr connell who as the husband of dora would soon be the lord of all in the black islands on the other hand 
when mr connell wrote to him that the executrix having no written order from the deceased to that effect could not pay the five hundred pounds lodged in the bank for his commission ormond was on the point of flying out with intemperate indignation was not his own word sufficient was not the intention of his benefactor apparent from the letters would not this justify any executor any person of common sense or honour dr cambray his experienced and placid counsellor brought all these sentiments to due measure by mildly showing what was law and justice and what was fit and proper in each case putting jealous honour and romantic generosity as they must be put out of the question in business he prevented ormond from embroiling himself with connell about the legacy and from giving up his farm he persuaded him to decline having anything to do with the affairs of the black islands a proper agent was appointed who saw ormond's accounts settled and signed so that no blame or suspicion could rest upon him there seems no probability mr ormond said dr cambray of your commission being immediately purchased your guardian sir ulic o'shane will be detained some time longer i understand in dublin you are in a desolate situation here you have now done all that you ought to do leave these black islands and come to vickersdale you will find there a cheerful family and means of spending your time more agreeably perhaps more profitably than you can have here i am sensible that no new friends can supply to you the place of him you have lost but you will find pleasure in the perception that you have by your own merit attached to you one friend in me who will do all in his power to soothe and serve you will you trust yourself to me added he smiling you have already found that i do not flatter will you come to us the sooner the better to-morrow if you can it scarcely need be said that this invitation was most cordially accepted next day ormond was to leave the black islands sheila was in despair when she found he was going the child hung upon him so that he could hardly get out of the house till moriarty promised to return for the boy and carry him over in the boat often to see mr ormond moriarty would not stay in the islands himself he said after harry went he let the cabin and little tenement which o'shane had given him and the rent was to be paid him by the agent ormond went for the last time that morning to ormond's vale to settle his own affairs there he and moriarty took an unusual path across this part of the island to the water-side that they might avoid that which they had followed the last time they were out on the day of corney's death they went therefore across a lone tract of heath bog where for a considerable time they saw no living being on this bog of which cornelius o'shane had given moriarty a share the grateful poor fellow had the year before amused himself with cutting in large letters of about a yard long the words long live king corney he had sowed the letters with broom seed in the spring and had since forgotten ever to look at them but they were now green and struck the eye 
think then of this being all the trace that's left of him on the face of the earth said moriarty i'm glad that i did even that same after crossing this lone bog when they came to the water-side they found a great crowd of people seemingly all the inhabitants of the islands assembled there waiting to take leave of master harry and each of them was cheered by a kind word and a look before they would let him step into the boat ay go to the continent said sheila ay go to fifty continents and in all ireland you'll not find hearts warmer to you than those of the black islands that knows you best from a child master harry dear End of chapter seventeen